Samaritan's Purse is in the process of setting up an emergency field hospital in western Ukraine. The DC-8 cargo plane airlifted the initial phase of the hospital on March 4th, along with disaster assistance response team members, including doctors, nurses, logistics, and other personnel. The field hospital will have two operating rooms with capacity for 14 major surgeries or 30 minor surgeries per day. The emergency room can handle 100 patients per day, and the facility also has a pharmacy and its own water and sanitation system. Ukrainian families are hurting and in desperate need of physical aid and prayer during this difficult time. You can be a part of helping the people of Ukraine. Donate now at SamaritansPurse.org. Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. And I pull up in the hood. I live in the hood. Lawyers get involved with depositions and all that stuff. It gets a little crazy. If one poor, black, divorced, single mother who's disabled from a massive stroke at the age of 25 can raise four children. Yeah, you know, yeah. we're from the projects. Yeah, we're from the projects, Bill. You know, we had a lot of assets. You <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of assets to pass down. <laughs> There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Dear Heavenly Father, just uh, we pray for our families, uh, Odell's family, extended family, family in Charleston my family in Cleveland, my family in D.C. and California and Las Vegas. We just ask that you keep them safe, watch over them, and let us all as a family bond together and love on each other. Amen. Father God, we just thank you for the ability to continue to be a blessing for the family. As I think personally, as we go up and down the highway every two weeks, and take care of our mother in Charleston and all the accidents that we see and the crosses that we see on the side of the road, the memorials, whether they're made out of PCP pipe or wooden crosses nailed on the road, on trees or flowers that's on a cross. We just continue to see the cross, God. We just continue to see the cross and we just are thankful and we just pray for all the family members who've lost a loved one in accidents and the whole idea of, you know, you left without saying goodbye. They left to 
travel, they left to go to the store, they left to go here or there, and they never got a chance to say goodbye. So it's a lot of people, God, and me included, when I lost my baby sister in a car accident, tragic car accident, she left without saying goodbye. Mm. So God, we thank you for your grace, we thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit that helped us as we work through all these issues. In Jesus' name we pray and believe, amen. Amen. Well, Odell, how you doing today? Doing pretty good, Bill. You know, just got back from Charleston. As you know, uh, Charleston, South Carolina is my hometown. Um, I go every other weekend down to take care of my mother. I'm a, what one would term a long-distance caregiver. Uh, we, me and my siblings, I uh, have a younger brother, Renard, who stays in the house with my mother, and I have a older sister who helps take care. So the three of us, uh, my mother had four children, and the three remaining children uh, work hard together financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, along with some uh, uh, caregivers that we hire to take care of my mother. Um, and as you know, my mother is disabled, and we will talk more about that today, about family members taking care of family members, you know, so adult adult children trying to manage our personal families, but also taking care of our aging parents and the resources, the emotional aspect of it. And just sometimes, Bill, I'm just so tired. I'm not tired of caring for my mother. That's not it, but just tired, physically tired, mentally tired, spiritually tired, emotionally tired. And I'm not complaining. I'm just being real. Yeah. You know, I, I think of you often because about every other week you're driving the five hours one way to Charleston on a busy interstate that there are a lot of accidents. And I worry about you because of that. I worry about you uh, for a number of reasons going on that kind of a trip. Uh, and you think about after a while you start recognizing every road sign, every truck stop, every every place. And uh, you start going, this is this is getting old. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Bill. And the fact that you have worn out one car, so, you know, you put those miles on vehicles and you're like, okay, got the distance getting close to 100,000 miles, so you trade it and you get another one. And now I was looking yesterday and the other one's close to 70-something thousand, so I'll probably be, tra- wow. <laughs> I'll probably be trading that vehicle, you know. And as you know, I drive these uh, big old uh, expeditions, so I enjoy the big vehicles. So gas <laughs> is what it is. But, you know... I get there and I pull up in the hood. I live in the hood. I live in um, the hood. We grew up very poor. So the hood that I grew up in is different. But I'm always happy to walk through those doors and I see my mother. And my mother, who was once a very, very beautiful woman, now she is a older, beautiful woman. And she looks and she smiles. And I smile back and it's like, oh, girl, we get to see each other one more time. But, but the neighborhood, where once was a all-black neighborhood, uh, poor neighborhood, rough neighborhood, just rough, you know, people would break in your houses. And, you know, I remember my mom would be shooting down the hall with her pistol because people would try to break in the house. It wow. was just, you know, a divorced single mother of four kids, and people would break in the house. And now those same houses next to us, they're young white couples living there now, and the houses are valued at $300,000. So the whole neighborhood— wow is changing and I just think and I 
laugh and I smile and say, you know, if you live long enough, things will change. <laughs> things will true. change. So it's just interesting. But it's still, it's, it's one of those neighborhoods, you know, um, sooner or later, it's going to be a Starbucks in our neighborhood. So oh who my. knows? I don't oh know. It's just, it's just what it is. But my mother's doing well. Thanks for asking. I'm doing well. I'm thankful that I can go. I can afford to go because our motto is this. If one poor, black, divorced, single mother who's disabled from a massive stroke at the age of 25 can raise four children successfully, then the three remaining children can take care of one mother. You got it. You got it. And she still referred to you as pumpkin? She still referred to you. <laughs> yes, yes. She still referred to me as pumpkin. And, you know, when I was leaving yesterday, what she does right before I leave every time she uh, I always ask her for a blessing and she puts her good hand because of the stroke. You know, your whole left side is paralyzed. So she takes her right hand and puts it on my head. And she just and now since I got a ball spot up there, you know, and she just prays over me. She prays uh. over me. And the thing that touches me the most, Bill, when. When I get ready to leave, she always says, thanks for coming back. Wow. You know, just thanks. for. I mean, thinking about her. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for thinking about her. Thanks for not forgetting about her. And family, Hmm. not that we forget about each other, but life gets busy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and I hear from so many other caregivers where they're like, you know, Odell, your story, your book that you wrote, um, it's my turn now, you know, your family is not typical. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, and you hear horror stories on how family members don't really work together oh, to care for this individual yep. because everything was good and then COVID hit. Yep. And when COVID hit, my my mother's like, you know, she used to go to this, we call it, uh, the, I don't want to name the center, but this center where she would go in the mornings, you know, go and spend all day. And she got very scared and concerned about the health her health going into these uh, agencies and stuff. So she says she wants to stay home. And it's like, Dale, I want to stay home. I want to stay home. And I'm like, have you ever made a, 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 a promise to someone? And it wasn't a forced promise, but it was like, okay, mommy, I do everything I can to keep you at home. How do you keep that promise, Bill, without keeping the promise? Yeah, no, it's, that's, a, that's a great question. You know, um, it's, it's very hard when your mom asks you to do something like that. And you want you want to do it. But in the same token, you know it's not the right thing for her, uh, but she has to be safe. So it's it's a delicate delicate balance. I do have one question about your mom. You told me a story about how your mom became paralyzed and how she was stuck in a hospital and nobody would take care of her. Mm-hmm. You want to share with our listeners, Odell, the story of your mom? Yeah. Um, you know, Bill, that's, wow, powerful, powerful powerful just thinking about it almost bring tears my my mother was working at manhattan shirt factory in charleston south carolina Mm -hmm. in the early 60s and she got sick and she wasn't feeling good and we were living in public housing at the time and i remember her asking my sister to bite her fingers because she she felt numb and my sister bit her fingers and she couldn't feel it so she asked my sister to call my grandparents and charleston and we lived right there off of East Bay Street. Many people would know East Bay Street is where the, they call it the open air market now. We used to call it the slave market in Charleston. People are very familiar with that. And so they came over and they rushed my mother to the hospital. Well, my mother got to the hospital and it was a physician 
on duty who looked at my mother and said, well, uh, it's just paralysis, you know, and sent her home. Now, anyone who knows anything about a stroke victim, Bill, know that seconds count, minutes counts, hours counts. Well, he sent my mother home and said, come back on a Tuesday. And I think this was on a Friday. Come back on Tuesday, which is the free clinic day. Now, my mother had insurance and, and they're saying, but she has insurance. She has insurance. And you think that why did he look at this poor black woman and send her home? And said, come back on the free clinic day. Hmm. Well, she went home for two or three days. No, two days. And my Grandmother had a doctor. In those days, they had house doctors that did house calls. This doctor happened to be of a Jewish doctor. So he came and he saw my mother, and he immediately said, no, take her back, take her back. This is a stroke. So they took my mother back to uh, the medical university, and the same physician who was there, he may have been a residency. I don't know. I don't know. Um, said, I told her to come back on Tuesday, what she's doing back here. And the Jewish doctor forced him to admit her. He said, this is a stroke, forced him to admit her. And and I thank God for that advocate. You know, we all need help. Absolutely. And my mother stayed in the hospital for three months. Wow. For three wow. months, battling, trying to stay alive. Wow. And when she says this story of why she was there, the family was going through, okay, if she dies, What's going to happen to the four kids? How are we going to separate the four kids? And, you know, I had. How old were you? Uh, I think I was like eight. Oh, yeah. You're yeah. young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very young. Um, and I had one, I had a baby sister who was just gorgeous, Bill. She was just gorgeous, um, very, very fair skin. And not she was gorgeous because she was fair skin. She was gorgeous because she was gorgeous. Had beautiful brown hazel eyes and of course we had a family member said she'd take they'd take her and then I had my older sister and my younger brother who never got in the day in trouble we had other family members say they'd take them and then it was like stuck who's gonna take Odell and at the time I was eavesdropping you know because Odell wasn't the best kid <laughs> eavesdropping and nobody really wanted Odell and that's one of those things that stick in your mind as wow. a child but why thank God why this conversation was going on my mother said her and God was having a conversation that she was saying, God, please allow me to live long enough to see my children grown. Wow. You know, in South Carolina, Gigi, wow. grown means when they can, they can grow up. And so God and my mother worked out that out. And I remember in those days, they didn't allow children to kind of go up to, to the rooms. So I remember seeing my mother for the first time. My mother came down and she was in a wheelchair and she had like a blanket draped over her left side. And I remember as a little boy running up to her because I didn't know her first because somehow they cut all the hair off when she was there. They cut all the hair off and she had this big old scar on her neck. And I remember as a child saying, why did these people try to split my mother's neck? Mm. You know, didn't understand mm. the fact that a massive stroke, they probably cut her neck and put all tubes down and everything to save her life. I just didn't, so I, yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. And the whole idea of her having that blanket on her left side, I didn't know that her whole side of her body was paralyzed. And as children, we used to, doing the rehab, we used to, um, they said, you know, help her with her fingers, the rubber balls, and we would just be working our little hands off, thinking that the more we exercise our mother's left hand, that her hand would come back and her arms and everything. We had no idea what a stroke was. 
and realistic as adults growing up because my mother was so independent. She learned how to talk again. She learned how to walk again. She learned how to drive a car. Wow. She learned how to do wow. all that. And it never, and I really never thought about X amount of years later, the health issues that a stroke would cause, Bill. I never thought, you're like, well, well die, Odell. Well, die, 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 die. I didn't think about it because my mother was so independent. And now, you know, she's 78 years old. Now, over the years, that whole stroke thing has really affected her. And it's like, what were you thinking, Odell? And I wasn't thinking. I was going on with my life. And now life taps you on the shoulder and said, it's your turn now. Yep. What you do you step do? in? Got to step into place. And you've written a book about that, and with which I I've read. And it's fantastic. And uh, you know, family is interesting. Um, you know, I've had some uh, on my wife's side and my side. We've had some interesting things when it came to people that passed. What do you do with the assets that are left? And how do you, as a family, address all that? And uh, let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. we're from the projects. Yeah, we're from the projects, Bill. You know, we had a lot of assets. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of assets to pass down. But it's interesting you would say that because, you know, what do you do with the assets? But also, what do you do with the bills? Mm. You know, what do you do with the bills that's left yeah. and everything else? And one of the things that when I was home, um, my grandparents passed and we settled the trying to settle the estate. And, you know, when you look at all the different pieces of property involved, it may be right around a quarter of a million dollars or something like mm-hmm. that when it's all mm-hmm. said and done. And I have been all involved in trying to get all that settled. But then you've been involved in getting some of that settled too. Yeah. You know, I've had three situations, two on my, my side and one on my wife's side. Uh, let me talk about my side first. <clears throat> my mom passed, um, you know, there's eight kids in our family. And so my one brother was the executor of the will and after she, you know, we took care of the funeral arrangements and everything, and we had a family meeting, and he read the will, and basically she gave an eighth to every kid, you know, one eighth. So we, the only asset she had, she, I think she had thirteen thousand in the bank, so that probably paid for the funeral, and so she had her house, which was paid off. It wasn't worth much; might have been forty, forty-five thousand. So we all sat there and said, what do we want to do with the house? It's where we go for Christmas every year. We said, do we want to keep it in the family? Do we want to sell it? And we said, boy, it would be great to keep for the next generation to know where we had Christmas, where we grew up. And so my one brother from California said, I want it because I may move back to Cleveland and I'll live in it and uh, I want it. So we all signed over our eighth. We didn't ask for any money. We just gave it to him. Wow. And, and we all, uh, the condition was that we can use it for Christmas for a two week period. If he wants to rent it out, that's fine. If he needs some help with some maintenance, we'd help out. So that went really well. He, it worked out. The second one, in our family was my uncle Emil, who was single. He owned an eye company that made, uh, glasses pretty wealthy. I mean, he got a Cadillac every three years. Okay. So I knew <laughs> uncle Emil was doing well and he owned three houses and he was a, antique collector well he called them antiques but when we had people come in and look they said no there's not much here but he had three houses full of this stuff but you know together again he left everything to the to the nieces and nephews because he had no kids so we each got an eighth 
and my other brother was the executor, and there was some money involved in that. There was, it could have been a half a million bucks, maybe even a little more. And uh, I remember a couple of my siblings calling me worried that my one brother that was the executor was going to do us right. And I wasn't worried about it, and so I tried to quell them, but they said, well, whatever we get, we get. You know, he should be doing this, he should be doing it. I said, you know, let him do his thing, you know, and it, and it worked out. It worked out. Um, so that was that side. And the other one was on my wife's side. And the interesting thing is, my wife's side, all the money that they had came from the grandfather. Mm. None of them earned this money. They were inherited. And it was a catfight. It was lawsuits. I mean, everything. People suing each other over the money. Uh, there was, And these are Christians. And I'm like, holy cow. They're fighting and fighting and fighting, and the lawyers are taking a big part of it because you're fighting. So you get both sides, and what I found interesting is um, I think it's when people that don't earn it but inherit it through a trust, I think that, that kind of jades their vision, their their eyesight, where in our family, none of us really had a lot, and to give it up was not a big deal, plus we saw the benefit going to one of the family members. So it wasn't like any of us were going to get rich on it. You know, a couple needed more money than the others. So so it worked out. How about your family? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, before I jump into my family, one of the things you stated was none of them earned it. It was the grandfather's money. So, Bill, are you talking about millions and millions of dollars? Are you talking about poor Odell public housing? Millions. Okay. Millions. So millions of dollars made Christians – um, well, that's not fair. I, I don't want to say make Christians behave differently because money makes a lot of people behave differently. I guess money and other things bring out what's already in us. So when they got through fighting, is if is the family left? What I mean by this is not not the money's left, the family, because when it's all said and done, you want the family to still be intact. Does you want it divide the family, the family to still talk. Yeah. You don't want the family divided because I think that that grandfather who left the dollars would want it such that his legacy and all the hard work that he did was to build the family and put the family in a better position in life than to tear the family apart over money. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what he wanted. I mean, in his will, it was pretty clear that he wanted he left enough money for all the family members to live okay, not not as millionaires, but okay, and not have to worry about it. Uh, I think if he saw how they two brothers fought and then the families fought after that, I mean, it was it was probably ten years of lawsuits. Wow! And you know the um, I, I it did divide the family. It did divide the two brothers, and it divided uh, uh, our family with the other family. So it did divide them, and uh, you know we're just waiting for the date of reconciliation when we can get back together. But uh, you know we offer. Uh, at times, and uh, it's it's crazy. I remember one time somebody sent some flowers to the other person over something, and they turned around and sent the flowers back. So it's just that deep. Woo. It's, it's just amazing. that deep. Hey, listen, you sent like me some flowers. I don't want. I'm sending it back because you owe me a penny, or you got a penny more of money that none of us earned. Amen. I think there's money that none of us earned. You know, in my side of the family, um, for my mother. I am the, you know, executor of the will. Mm -hmm. And just the whole idea of someone 
picking you to be that person, meaning that other people didn't get selected. So I have to be very careful with my siblings, how we dealt with that whole thing with my mother. Now with my grandfather, my grandmother, who had two or three, two and a half pieces of property, that they left the will and it, nothing really happened and we were just paying taxes on a house and the house was deteriorating and everything else. So when my uh, aunt declared that after 20 some odd years, she's not paying taxes on it anymore, I jumped in and said, hey, I'll pay the taxes on it. It was about $2,000 because what I didn't want is what happened a lot with families and particularly African-American families to a certain degree is that the house or the land get taken because no one paid the taxes on it or something like that, or heirs property and, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with heirs property yep. or not. Yeah. Okay, good. So what we're doing now is I took it upon myself to reach out to the family and said, hey, we don't want to be one of those families that lose what our grandparents worked so hard for. So, you know, I'm putting it out, emailing everybody, saying, hey, we have to put the the land up for sale because no one's living in it. And, of course, you get some resistance. So we did what they call a forced sale, which really one family member sued the rest of the family members to sell the property. And I know a lawsuit sounds horrible, but in this case, the lawsuit was used as a tool, T-O-O-L, to allow us to move this process forward. So we're dealing with that right now. Uh, it's going through the Charleston County court systems and we're trying to get the property settled because it's just trying to keep the peace because you got the land, you have the taxes, you have the lawsuits, and you're trying to keep the peace. And my grandfather, who I love dearly, would not have wanted to see this because, Bill, they were poor people. They yeah. didn't have anything, yeah. but they were able to, to scratch the dirt and before they died, they were able to have something decent. And I have all these memories in this house as a child growing up on nine at 928 Sycamore Avenue in Charleston, South Carolina. So it's, it was good. But at the same time, what's happening now is not so good. And I stepped in and got involved. And people are like, why would you get involved? You're the grandchild. Well, I got involved because my grandfather, I knew what he would have wanted. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to save the family. That's there why you I asked you, is the family saved? Because you all are fighting, no, not you all, you gave an example of millions and millions of dollars. And I have an example of probably $200,000 or something. It's not even dollars, it's land trying to get all this settled up. And you're trying to do the same thing that I'm trying to do is save the family. And why is saving the family so important, Bill? Well, you know, in the Bible, it says we're not supposed to sue each other. We're not supposed to. You know, there's there's ways if there's a dispute to settle it. But suing isn't one of them. No, but Christians, we 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 got an art of sue. We we'll sue you. We'll uh, we'll sue. We'll walk in the church. Uh, if we fall down, if we're gonna sue the church, you got it. We're gonna it, sue the church. Yep, I hear you. And you know the I think uh, you know family is the key. You know, if your family's strong, you can get through this. I think there was a riff on the other side of the family that spilled over on my wife's side. Our family. You know, we've had some issues, but it's like we look forward to seeing each other. We bond with each other. We bring people in. And I, I think that's just the way we were raised. Well, we were raised with nothing. Um, we just didn't have anything, but we had love and respect for each Amen. other. Amen. And we're still trying to keep that. Um, but it's hard. It's hard. Because yeah. sometimes 
some family members will try to jockey and position themselves like your example to try to get upper hand on other family members mm-hmm. and it's almost like the person who trusted trust the process ends up you know left out of the short changed yeah short changed yeah. yeah and just yeah. i'm sitting there refereeing and trying to be the person and in the midst of it i've got accused of being everything but a child of yeah, god greedy greedy it, well, and everything but yeah. i'm not getting anything out of it i know but but I you know. still get you still get accused of being everything but a child of god amen amen but talk about not being accused bill of being a child of god but talking about through this process being a child of god well you know the i think first off the emotions hit okay so you're you're like really cranked up and and lawyers get involved with depositions and all that stuff. It gets a little crazy. So in order, in order to be a child of God, you've got to get like a child. You've got to get like a child. Now, child gets worked up over certain things, like if they're not fed on time, they need a nap and all that stuff. But they're, for the most part, pretty content with just simple things. Mm. And, you know, I grew up, uh, my dad, for every summer for us eight kids, he would get a dump load of sand and put it in the backyard, and that was our playground for the whole summer. We would put. Ca- it ain't funny, the- Bill. It ain't <laughs> funny, but you know what? Okay. What was your father's name? Bill. Bill. Yeah. Bill said, "I'll fix you." Big Bill. I'll, Big Bill said, "I'll fix you." I'm gonna get some sand. You want to go to the beach? Here's some sand. Yeah, you want to build it. a castle? Here's the sand. We never this went on vacation. It. That was it. And uh, we the pool was across the street. My mom hated that pile of sand. You know why? Because we brought about half of it into the house God. in our shoes and in all over the place. and uh, But, you know, it was a simple thing. We had more fun with that sand. And then one year he really got blew the budget. He got us wood and nails and hammers, and we started building forts. Okay. Oh, my gosh. That you, was good. You know, it's interesting. Um, Bill, as you get ready to close us out, what advice would you give families who got caught or found themselves in a sticky, wicky situation over money or power, all this kind of stuff, and we're fighting over money or resources that we didn't earn? Mm, Great question. You know, I find that if you can find an intermediary, because you're going to have emotions on both sides, and as soon as you see each other, something that clicks those emotions in, that stomach thing gets going. So you need something to diffuse that. And get a good Christian mediator to get between the two. Uh, And you may have to have two mediators because you got like one and they like one, but I would definitely, definitely do that. And uh, folks, if you've got any questions about this, you can reach Odell and I at our website, www.thecommonground.show. That's www.thecommonground.show. Ask us and we'll give you we we'll give you our two cents. And for black people is www.thecommonground.show. The, 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 the. Bill, close us out in prayer, I my will. brother. Dear Heavenly Father, we know you love families. We know that you care for family. You, you designed us for family. Lord, we ask that when we get into conflicts, that when we get in disagreements, that we look to you, our Heavenly Father, And how would your father handle this? How would he do it? Will there be disputes like this in heaven? Absolutely not. Lord, 
We ask that you lift up families that are going through this, that they seek your counsel, that they lay it at the altar and ask for forgiveness and, and reunite. Amen. Amen. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. This podcast is proudly sponsored by... Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 Chief Financial Officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PNL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.